All right, good morning, and it's good to have all of you and all of you joining us online from afar. Welcome. Today, before I get into the sermon proper, uh, I would like to recognize and just uh, speak to uh, two of our members who are moving. Yes, we have more people moving, uh, going to the mainland, uh, Bill and Rosario Lyons. Brother Bill, can you just wave over here? Yeah, it's good to see and um, this is, you'll be with us a few more Sundays, but Rosario, she leaves Thursday, so Rosario leaves Thursday, uh, and so reach out to them if you haven't gotten to already, uh, and let them know how much you love them, how much they will be missed, and uh, just encourage them. I have, I was walking through Costco one day a few years back, and uh, most people at this point call me pastor uh, and have called me pastor. Some will call me uh, Rev or, or, you know, I'll get that from time to time, Reverend. Um, but this particular day in Costco, I had a new name that I had not been called yet. As I was walking through, I heard, uh, hey, preacher. And I was like, oh, I, I haven't heard that for a long time. And I turned and it was Brother Bill. Uh, and, and they had just moved to Maui at the time, and, uh, or shortly before that, and uh, it was a joy, just been a joy to walk with them. Rosario has been just so intentional in encouraging uh, both of you in different ways, but through uh, reaching out, inviting people to church, coming, and uh, I can think of at least three people who are here as members at KBC directly because of their witness at Lowe's, and so just very intentional in the workplace. That has encouraged me so much. Uh, seeing them endure suffering has been a great joy as well, and so you will be dearly missed. Thank you uh, for all your help on work days and just your, your gentle presence has been a joy. So thank you. We love you. Um, the title of the sermon today is The Charge. The Charge. Many look for a silver bullet so to speak, for the world's problems. Uh, many look for that, whether it be in, in a war, looking for that secret weapon that will end the war, that will put an end to the fighting, that will bring victory, or, or whether it be in our current predicament. Right now, uh, scientists and people around the world are working, trying to work on a vaccine or some sort of fix to slow this down or, or the, the coronavirus and whatever you think about that, whatever. People are laboring to stop whatever is killing thousands of lives. They're looking for that thing, that treatment, that method that will help put into this. What if we were to look for something, the silver bullet, for our deepest, most greatest problems in life? What would that be? What do you think would be the admonition that comes from God's Word for what ails our world today? What do you need as you sit here either as a family in your marriage what is the silver bullet to fix it? Maybe as uh, parents and your children, what, what is that one thing that can solve all your fears and desires? Ultimately, what is that one thing that will restore us to God? What can do that? Because in that, we will find all the rest we ever long for. 
desprezar. Today's text is intimately concerned with that very thing. Paul in prison, as we know, if you've been here for the sake of the gospel, he senses that his time on this earth is done. If you remember Philippians, in the book of Philippians, Paul's tone was totally different. He says uh, that he, it is necessary to remain for their account, that he had a desire to depart to be with the Lord, but God wasn't done with him, and so he was going to stay. But now, in 2 Timothy, his tone's totally different. He says, the time of my departure has come. I am at the end of my race. And so this letter has a tone of weightiness to it, of urgency to it. We see he's going to tell Timothy at the end, come to me as soon as you can. He hopes to see him in person, but in the event he doesn't, he's writing this letter and he's urging Timothy, encouraging Timothy to remain faithful, to run his race, to endure suffering and hardship as a good soldier for Christ. Throughout this letter, Paul has already pointed out by name some individuals who had departed from the faith, and he's not done yet point out a few more before the end of it. He's also pointed out some others who have remained faithful and have been a blessing. And throughout this time, this theme of, of clinging to the gospel, of guarding the deposit, has come up again and again and again. And this theme is brought to a head in our passage today. It finds its culmination, its climax. And lest, lest we think that this is a word only for pastors, it is a word for pastors. It is a word for those who aspire to the ministry. But lest we think it's only for pastors, you may be surprised at how applicable it is for all of us. And so let's pray and jump into the text. Father in heaven, thank you for the ministry of the body of Christ. I give you pointed and specific praise now for Bill and Rosario. Thank you for their love throughout these few years. Thank you for their partnership, for the impact they have made here. Their mark has been left, and Father, you are moving them. You are sending them, and I ask that you would prepare the way before Rosario. I pray that their transition would go smooth, and I ask that they would leave. I pray, God, that you would help them to be more equipped for the gospel work in North Carolina. And so, Lord, would you do a great work in them, and may you complete that work in us as we hear your word, this God-breathed scriptures, read, and hopefully, God, by your spirit, faithfully proclaimed. May you equip us for every work, not only here, but all across the islands with our partner churches, would you bless the preaching of your word in Jesus' name? Amen. All right, I have three points. Number one, the charge. Number one, the charge. Number two, the challenge. So number one is the charge. Number two is the challenge. And number three is the cheerful promise. The charge, the challenge, and the cheerful promise. The charge. 
verse 1 and 2. So far throughout this letter, Paul has said that the gospel in verse 1 brings the promise of life in Christ. Chapter 1, verse 1, the gospel brings the promise of life. He said it is through the gospel that Christ brought life and immortality to light. And that is because of this great truth that God has given us a spirit not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. He goes on to urge Timothy in chapter 1 of 2 Timothy. He urges him to draw upon the power of the Holy Spirit to guard that deposit of truth. Keep it, to follow the pattern of sound words. In chapter 2, he tells Timothy to entrust this gospel to other faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Later on in chapter 2, it is this gospel that Paul says, even though I'm bound, I'm in chains, the Word of God is not bound. You see that contrast? I'm bound, but God's Word is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of God's elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus. He goes on to press Timothy to rightly handle the word of truth. Don't be given to unnecessary quarrels or arguments or debates that distract people from the word. In chapter 3, he tells Timothy to continue in the sacred writings that are able to make you wise for salvation. And then Paul affirms that all scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So, if such things are true, if to turn away from the truth is to endanger your soul, if the Word of God is powerful and able to accomplish what it commands, then the logical conclusion for the man of God is to preach this life-giving, world-creating, darkness-lifting, powerful Word of God. That's the only logical conclusion. If all Scripture is God-breathed, if it brings life and immortality to light, if it guards people from destruction, then the only logical conclusion for Timothy is to what? Preach. Preach that Word. Preach that God-breathed word. And this is exactly what Paul leaves ringing in Timothy's ear. This is what Paul leaves echoing in young Timothy's ear as this letter draws to a close. That's exactly what he says. And he does it in the form not just of a command. It's not a simple command. He does it in the form of a formal, official charge. The charge. Now, we've all heard charges. Anybody ever been to a high school graduation? Yes, yes. How about college graduation? Yes. You hear charges normally uh, in a commencement ceremony or a graduation ceremony, especially this time of year. You come in, your graduates are seated, they're all there with their caps and gowns or whatever accomplishment they're graduating from, and normally they'll have some faculty member or notable member of the community come, and he gives a charge. 
And he's trying to impress and motivate and stir these newfound graduates to action, to perseverance amidst hardship, to use that newfound whatever it is to make a change and an impact. That's a charge. We know what a charge is. I've heard many charges in my life. I think I've even given one. But this charge is the weightiest charge I've ever heard. And appropriately so. Before I get into this section, as I said before, you may be tempted to think, well, I'm here today and I'm, I'm not really a pastor and this particular section is aimed at pastors. Maybe I can just tune out here. Think about this before you do. If God commands pastors to do something, then it must be something you need as a follower of Christ to be done. Make sense? God appoints shepherds and pastors over the flock, under shepherds, to steward the flock in his absence, and they're only to do what he commands them to do. And if he commands them to do something, it must be something you need to be done, you see? So this is directly applicable to you, and we'll flush out some of those implications towards the end. And so listen to what he says. Hear just the sheer weight of his words says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. My goodness, Paul, could you have been any clearer? Could you have caught his attention anymore? Paul invokes the very power the very presence, the very authority of God himself. The famed apostle, I, I tell you what, if, if the, the apostle himself says this to me, I'm, I'm picturing him looking at me right in the eye with all the gravitas that he can muster. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ. This certainly would have commanded Timothy's attention. It would have caught all of his effort, his focus at that moment. I charge you. And what does he charge? What's the charge? Simply put, preach the word. Preach the word, Timothy. Surely the core of that message is found in what Paul had written earlier in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. That trustworthy saying, deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Surely that is core to that message. Are you here this morning, listening online, in here, as a sinner this morning? somebody who has struggled with sin in their life, you know you have broken God's law, His Word. You have done things that you hate. You have things that you know are not pleasing to God. Maybe you listen and wonder, or you're here and you think, would God have me back? The saying, Paul says, is trustworthy and deserving of everybody to accept it. It's the best news in all the world. 
I can think of no better news. That's on right now that could happen, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Whatever you ever hear from me, may that be the core. May that good news ring out from KBC until Christ Jesus returns himself. This poor man cried. The Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Christ Jesus came to save sinners. This is core and central to that word that must be preached to all nations. KBC, I want you to know this charge rings in every sermon I have ever prepared or preached. Every time I have undertaken to pray and labor in the word, I hear this. And I hear James 3.1. Let not many of you become teachers. Let not many of you become teachers. This charge weighs heavy. People ask, what is it like to preach week after week? I say it is a joyful burden. How could it not be with a charge like this? It's a joyful burden, but it is a weight. And if there is one thing I have aimed at getting right in ministry, it is this charge to preach the word. Believe that whatever shortcomings I have as a pastor, that God's word is powerful, sufficient, and able to create, cultivate, and shape his people. That's why we sing the word. That's why Nick picks songs and others have songs that are full of gospel truth. This is why we read the word publicly, because Paul told Timothy to the public reading of Scripture. This is why we pray God's Word and we let His Word shape our prayers and mold them. This is why we encourage you to memorize, meditate on, and obey the Word. This is why at the Biblical Counseling Center we, we counsel from the very Word of God. This is why we look to the Word of God for guidance and direction and church decisions. We pray over it. And yes, yes, we preach the Word. We proclaim it, we herald it, and we give large segments of the service to this task, to preaching the Word of God. This is a church that will be built on and shaped by the Word of God and nothing else to the best of my ability. And what a tremendous work that word has done here. Year after year, month after month, God has done and continues to do a mind-blowing work through the ministry of the word. Praise God. All glory to him. This charge informs not just the content, but also the manner in which we preach. I don't strive to just preach the word. We don't strive to just preach the word here, the content, but also the manner, because that impacts what is preached. What do I mean? We preach what's called expositional sermons. Expositional sermons. Basically, that means the point of the passage ought to be the point of the sermon. Very simple. Whatever God's word says, that's what I want to say. I don't want to use God's word to say what, what I want to say. 
And I definitely don't want to twist God's word to say something it doesn't say. I want to speak God's word. Whatever his word says, that's what we preach. Because all of us know you can make the Bible say anything if you take it out of context. You can make it support any point, any position, any belief, any behavior, if you just rip words out of their context. And so we believe, because of, in part of this charge, the main diet of the church should be expositional preaching. Main diet. Not the only, not the only thing you'll ever hear, but the primary diet. So we do thematic sermon series from time to time. We do topical series from time to time, but even those aim to be done in a way that is expositional. I can't just say what Pastor Randy wants to say and use the scriptures to make it sound biblical. I can't skip the portions of the text. I've heard of pastors doing this. Romans chapter 1 through 8, they preach the whole thing all the way to chapter 8, and I say, ooh, I wonder how they're going to handle chapters 9 through 11. And I ask their members, follow up with them, hey, how chapters 9 through 11 go? And they say, to my great surprise, this actually happened, I promise, on, on this island, they say, to my surprise, they skipped it. <laughs> what? I mean they skipped it they didn't skip it they're going to come back to it surely no they skipped it they went straight to chapter 12 totally bypassed the hard section one of the controversial sections of romans i said what i can't do that we preach the whole counsel of god and expositional preaching helps keep me accountable to you because if i do that routinely you could ask hey are we ever going to go back to daniel are we going to go back to Romans 9 through 11? Are we going to figure that out? How come? You see? It helps me remain accountable to you. I can't skip the hard parts. I can't just preach my hobby horses, as many pastors or more than a few do. We preach the Word. We preach through books of the Bible. We run them straight from beginning to end. Sometimes people will say or think, I've heard this, Where's the room for the Holy Spirit to lead in that scenario? Where's the where's room for the Holy Spirit to move or lead? Well, obviously there's room for the Holy Spirit to move and lead, but but let me let me frame it like this. If you ever thought that when God's word is preached, is it not spirit-led? After all, who inspired these said scriptures? All scripture is God breathed and profitable. It was breathed out by God. Men of old were moved by the Holy Spirit. The sword of the Spirit is the Anybody? Word of God. I'm sure you guys were mouthing it, but I can't see your mouth. So <laughs> the Holy Spirit is the Sorry, the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. It is Spirit-led. How many times I have found the sermon text unexpectedly, when I plan something maybe months out or, or weeks out, unexpectedly lines up exactly with the need of the hour. Stunning. So I must preach the Word, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me God. That's the charge. Preach the word. Then he goes on to explain uh, other modifiers, how this is to be done, when it is to be done. He says, be ready in season 
and out of season. I'm going on sabbatical. I don't know if there's any more out of season category for a pastor than when he's on sabbatical, but guess what? I'm ready to preach the word out of season. At all times, we need to be ready. If you aspire to be in ministry, to be a teacher of the word, and by the way, many of you should not. You say, ooh, that's just biblical. Let not many of you become teachers. Many of you should not. But if you do, if you do, make yourself familiar with one gospel and one epistle so well. Make yourself so familiar. Choose one. One gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Make yourself so familiar with that. You choose one epistle. I would suggest Romans, Ephesians, or Philippians. Make yourself so familiar with one of each of those that you can preach a, a message on it at a moment's notice, no notes needed. No notes needed. Be so familiar with the content, the outline, the movement, the flow, that you can teach. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove. Rebuke. Exhort. What is this? Reprove. This word carries with it the idea of exposure, shed light on, bring darkness into light, bring it out of darkness, reprove. Now, in some times, this may be public, as in church discipline, when sin is unrepented of. At other times, most times, this is done in counsel. This is done in counsel, in private counsel, not just pastoral counsel, but in private counsel, but for sure for me. See, one of the things I'm doing when I'm reproving and there's some issue, there's some conflict, is I am drawing out, the heart of a man is like deep waters, I am drawing out the heart, I'm exposing sin, not to myself, primarily not to myself, but to the person I'm talking to to the person I'm talking to. You say, wait, wait, help me understand. Beloved, one of the effects of sin is it's blinding. We often are the last one to see it in ourselves. Why? Because we all justify it. The way of a man is right in his own eyes. We all have our inner lawyer. And so often the, the person I'm having to expose their sin to is not everybody around them, it's really to them. This is the hardest part. It's a spirit-wrought work done through his word with complete patience and teaching. Because if you ask me, and if you're honest with yourself, we always win the argument, right? We're always right. We're always right. And so reproving, drawing into light, helping others see the deceitfulness of sin. Rebuking, the corrective word. The man of God. The, the pastor, an elder, must not just be able to state truth positively. They must be able to correct error. There is content to the gospel. And, and sometimes we, we, we want to positively train and instruct people, but sometimes we have, to, we have to not only be able to say, this is the gospel, this is the gospel, this is the gospel, we also have to be able to say, and that is not the gospel. That is not the gospel, you see? It's not just the positive statement of truth, it's the active correction of error or departures from the truth. It's a corrective word. 
of rebuke. Exhort has the idea to come alongside of, to urgently plead and encourage somebody, an exhortation. And then he says, with complete patience and teaching. Those two almost seem to go contrary to each other. When you exhort somebody, there's a sense of weightiness, of urgency even. Repent now and be patient. (laughs) He says, be patient with complete patience and teaching. Leave time for the work of God and the Spirit of God to work. This comes up again and again in this letter. We must be patient with people. We must. We must be patient with one another even as we plead with them urgently and exhort them. So KBC, if that's how it informs the ministry of the Word, and we could spend obviously lots more time there, let me ask you, with such a weighty charge for pastors, what are the implications for all of us? Remember, what God commands pastors to do, churches must need to be done, to be healthy. So, there's many implications, but surely one, I'll give you a few, Surely one is that word-based ministry ought to be at the top of your list on what you look for in a church. Word-based ministry ought to be at the very top of your list. With a charge like this, top in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, preach the word, which then if I'm a member, then I'm going to hear that and say, then I must need that. And I will go to a church that does that, that preaches the word. This ought to be at the top when you look for a church. Now, you say all of you are here, and I mean, hopefully, I'm, I'm hoping this is a word-based ministry, so you're like, well, I'm not church shopping, pastor, so what? Well, you will interact with people who are church shopping, or the Lord may move you one day to a new locale, in which case you will church shop again to find a new home. Look for a word-based ministry. Make that the top of your list. Many people, when they look for ministries or churches, when they go looking for a church home, they look at all sorts of things that are not this. Look at children's ministries. Ooh, what, what kind of really good children's ministries do they have? Or, or styles of worship music. Is this, ooh, do I like this worship style or that? The age demographic. Are there people like me there? What programs does the church have? And if they think about the sermon at all, it's mostly, was the pastor kind of funny and entertaining such that I would want to sit underneath his preaching? Which has nothing to do with content, by the way. Very rarely does content of the sermon make it to the top of that list. With the charge as weighty as this, perhaps that list should be flipped upside down. Such that if you find a church that preaches the word, even if other parts of that church aren't as flashy as surrounding ministries or churches, you really should consider planting roots there. And many times, not always, there's some really good faithful churches that have lots of cool things happening. But many times, the churches that do have flashy ministries, cool kid zones, cutting edge music, other lots of things are sadly very light in terms of ministry of the word. So if the Lord ever moves you from here, like the Lions or the Roberts a few weeks ago, Find and look for a church that ministers the word. That's one implication. Second one, 
Be dedicated, KBC, to raising up ministers and nourishing them on the word. Continue to be dedicated to raising up ministers and nourishing them on the word. Let's go a little bit faster here. Number three, call pastors and elders who take this charge seriously. That take this charge seriously to preach the word. When you look for pastors and elders, this should be one of those things. Second Tim- uh, sorry, 1 Timothy chapter 3, Titus chapter 1, and 2 Timothy chapter 4 should all be on your radar. Will they minister the word? Number four, maybe you'll find yourself on the receiving end of getting reproved, rebuked, or exhorted. You'll find yourself on the receiving end of this. By the way, do these words even sound like nice words? No, they don't even sound like fun words like, oh, let's go to the trampoline park and get reproved. Oh, look, grace, mercy, love, reproof. No, these don't even say, they have those hard-sounding syllables, reprove, rebuke, exhort. If you find yourself on the receiving end of these, resist the urge to think ill of your pastors. Resist the urge to think ill of your pastors or whoever's doing it. And praise God for the ministry of the word. Because please understand, this is my divine mandate. This is Pastor Bill's divine mandate. To not do this is to disobey God. I don't like hurting anybody's feelings. I'm like you. I like everybody to like me. But we must obey God. So don't think ill of your pastors if you find yourself on the receiving end of this. It is for your good. That's another implication. It's your fourth one. Let's move on to number two. That's the charge. Number two, the challenge. We're 34 minutes into the sermon. We're on point number two. Amen? Keep going. All day? The Lord's day. I got two more sermons. Let's jam. Okay. Number two, the challenge, verses three through five. Why do we do this? He says, the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching or healthy doctrine or healthy teaching. The time is coming when they will not endure it. Now that sounds real good. Like, oh yeah, people outside the church are not going to endure sound teaching. Yeah, that sounds like our culture. Yes, it says, no. This is the word for the church. He's not talking about outside the world, although obviously that is always the case. Let's finish the rest of it. Verse 3 and 4, But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And here it is. Here's why we know it's for the church. And turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. You hear that? They turned away from listening to the truth, which meant at some point in time, they sat and listened to the truth. They came and fellowshiped with believers. They sat under the faithful preaching of the Word. They went to Sunday school. They were in fellowship, and they turned away and wandered off. That's why this is not just a word for out there. This is a word for in here. 
Paul's final word to the elders at Ephesus in Acts 20 was to be on the lookout because out of themselves would come false teachers. As having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own desires. On another occasion, a couple years ago, we had a motivational speaker and writer come visit our church. You guys probably didn't even realize it, but he came and he visited our church. He sat right back about where Diego is. He came and visited our church, and uh, I was curious. You know, I preached a text. I, I don't remember the exact text it was. I just know it was uh, on the pervasive nature of sin and darkness, because I wondered, oh, how does this motivational speaker receive this word that was not necessarily uh, motivational, believe in yourself kind of stuff? I was curious to know how he took it. And like I said, he visited our church once once. The days are here and will increase where people will have a desire to heap up teachers to suit their own passions, their own desires. In other words, be cautious. I have to say, because this, if this is a word for, for the church, look in your own heart and be very vigilant of this desire to hear teaching that suits your own passions your own desires, or that teaching that affirms what you already believe, and then when you hear something that's different or doesn't rub you right or you don't appreciate, then you, mm, mm, be careful, be careful, because Paul is meaning this for the church. And he says they turned away from listening to the truth. They turned away, and he, very next verse, verse 10 or a few verses later in verse 10, he gives an example of one like Demas, in love with the present world who had forsaken him. Demas forsook him. So there's a challenge. There's a charge, preach the word, and the challenge, because the time's coming when people will not endure it. Thank you, KBC, for enduring it. Thank you for hearing it and receiving it. Number three, the cheerful promise. The cheerful promise. I love this passage. Paul ends, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. I think we all want to be able to say this at the end. I have fought the good fight. The Greek words under I have fought and fight are the words where we get our English word agony agony. Think about that. He could say, I have, it's the verbal form, I have agonized the good agony. I've fought the good fight. Does your Christian life ever feel like a fight to you? Like, oof, this just seems hard. All around just seems hard. There's, there's difficulty here. There's hardship. There's pain. Agony. It's because it is a fight, and it's a good fight. It's what Charles Spurgeon said was the greatest fight in the world. Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Verse 8, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, 
but also to all who have loved his appearing. Praise God. That's our great hope, that on that day, the Lord, the righteous judge, as we follow him, as we endure suffering, as we finish the race, there is a crown of righteousness for us. And what is this crown of righteousness? What is this idea of rewards? We can talk about degrees of reward if that's a thing or not a thing. There's debate amongst that in the Christian, uh, in Christendom amongst godly, faithful people. But here, here's one thing that the crown of righteousness is for sure. Having begun by grace, having been kept by the power of God, having been made righteous by faith in Christ, this is a metaphor or a picture of the final reward our final state as a believer, made righteous, fully transformed into his image, the image of Christ, and with God forever and ever. It is a picture of that day. I've been running this race. I've been fighting. It's the 10th round. I'm tired. I just want to give up. But you finish. You make it. And God's there. Well done, good and faithful servant. All your pain and sorrow is over. Enter into the joy of your master forever and ever. Praise God. Hallelujah. And this isn't just a promise for super Christians, as if there was such a thing. This is for all who love his appearing. All who love his appearing. That's another way of just referring to believers, followers of Christ. We are those who love his appearing. We love his first appearing that we celebrate or reflect on around Christmas time, the incarnation. We love his first appearing, his first manifestation, and we eagerly await and long for his second. And so may we be found, KBC, eagerly loving and waiting for the day when we see his face on heaven's shores. Let's pray. Father in heaven. As Paul would tell the church at Philippi, grant that this would be true for us, that we count our salvation with fear and trembling. May we, may these members at KBC and myself, by your grace, by your spirit, work out our salvation. May we fight the good fights. May we run the good race. If there are any here who are weary, then may you strengthen them to not grow weary in doing good, and may they set their eyes on the reward, that crown of righteousness. In due season, you have promised, and you are faithful that we will reap if we do not give up. Keep us, Father, to the end so that we might see you and that you might be praised. In Jesus' name, amen. Now is a time of invitation. I'd like to invite you. Maybe that, that word that Christ came to save sinners landed with force on you today by his Spirit. Maybe you need to give your life to Christ. I'll be in this room to my right and your left. Maybe you have something else weighing on you that you'd like prayer for. Come, I'd love to pray with you and for you. Otherwise, let our corporate response be our praise and worship to God. Thank you. God bless.